Governor Pritzker makes a personal pitch as EV battery makers close in on decisions on Illinois plants. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Danny Ecker about developer Sterling Bay's effort to strike a deal with the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund to help bail out the Lincoln Yards mega development. And it should be noted that that's not just a Sterling Bay thing. And it's not really just a Lincoln Yards thing because this is really a, a problem facing many commercial property owners that are kind of facing issues, especially if they have office uh, offices, office buildings, or you know, large projects they're trying to get going and or loans coming due and saying, these properties aren't worth what they were before, so we need new capital partners. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, June 12th. Secure your business accounts and start earning more with a WinTrust MaxSafe account. With MaxSafe, you get up to 15 times the standard FDIC personal protection. That's right, 15 times the protection with the liability to secure up to $3.75 million per account holder. Now that's banking as it should be. Call 833-MAX-SAFE to talk with a local WinTrust banker today. That's 833-MAX-SAFE. Peace of mind is just a phone call away. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC. See FDIC.gov for deposit insurance coverage rules. I'm joined by Cranes reporter Danny Ecker here to talk about developer Sterling Bay and how they're trying to strike a deal with the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund to help out the Lincoln Yards mega development. Okay, lots of things that we've talked about on this podcast individually, but but not all in the same sentence. So tell me what's going on here, Danny. So I guess we can start by reminding people what Lincoln Yards is, right? Sterling Bay has this plan for a 53-acre mixed-use campus uh, on the north side of the city along the Chicago River between Lincoln Park and Bucktown. Very affluent area. It's been about four years, a little over four years, since City Council signed off on this big plan uh, to develop buildings, some of which would be, you know, skyscrapers. You know, we're talking very tall, high-rise buildings that would uh, be in this, you know, totally, in, you know, a great mixed-use campus that Sterling Bay envisions. Um, again, that was 2019 when City Council signed off on it, and since then, Sterling Bay has had a difficult time uh, getting this whole thing going. Uh, pandemic didn't help, of course. The Lightfoot administration was coming in, and according to Sterling Bay, the Lightfoot administration was uh, not as helpful as they had hoped in terms of getting signing off on things, permits, approvals, to be able to get going on infrastructure and things that were needed for this big project. So now we get to a point where interest rates are high, it's much harder to find money and Sterling Bay now is basically looking for money. They need to raise a lot of it to, in order to jumpstart Lincoln Yards, effectively bail them out to be able to move forward with this project because their two primary financial backers on Lincoln Yards, one is J.P. Morgan Asset Management out of New York, and the other is Lone Star Funds out of Dallas. Both of them are willing to walk away. They've been very patient. They're looking to get out and willing to take big discounts to get out of, of this deal. They basically have run out of patience here. So Sterling Bay needs to raise a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, in order to move forward with infrastructure and other pieces to get Lincoln Yards going. 
And two weeks ago, Andy Glor, the CEO of Sterling Bay, went before the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund and said, be our partner. Um, buy in to this at a really low number because for many reasons, including the pandemic and the uh, struggles of offices today, which a lot of this was going to be office, I'm not sure it will be in the future, um, you can buy in at a very low number. And this is a great investment opportunity because it's zoned, it's shovel ready, we've cleaned up the site, we're ready to go, we just need a, a big financial partner. So that is what he went before this, this pension fund. The pension fund said, okay, we're going to look into this. And that's where it stands now. And, uh, you know, now you basically just have this really interesting situation where the teacher's pension fund, which invests on behalf of Chicago teachers, you know, could be this partner potentially with Sterling Bay on Lincoln Yards. And let's remember that one of the, the most vocal opponents of Lincoln Yards when it was being proposed was the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, the reason for a lot of the opposition had to do with TIF money, tax recruitment, tax recruitment financing money that was going to uh, basically pay Sterling Bay back for infrastructure that they were going to build at Lincoln Yards. And, you know, the teachers union, anyone who opposes TIFs uh, overall says, look, this is really just stealing money from schools. This is money that property tax money that otherwise would go to other taxing districts, including schools, and it's being used to help a developer. It's a very complex discussion around that because, you know, what is TIF is meant to kind of spur development or, you know, make development happen that wouldn't happen, but for TIF. So anyway, that was the, the, the opposition to the teachers at the time. And now you have a situation where the pension fund, which is independent, but, you know, tied to the, the teachers union, uh, you know, is considering uh, an opportunity to pour, you know, potentially a few hundred million dollars into Lincoln Yard. So it's a, uh, a fascinating situation here and one that was created by really financial strain for Sterling Bay to try to get this really important project going. I have so many questions. I was going to say that was one of my first <laughs> questions. There are so many questions. Um, but one of them is about the, the teacher's pension fund. Given how much pushback and how much opposition was, was lobbed at Sterling Bay by the CTU, even though, you know, they make investment recommendations and do investment deals on behalf of the teachers union, how likely is this even to happen in the first place, given that kind of contentiousness there? Yeah, it's really hard to say. I think, you know, listening to, there was a presentation, again, that Andy made to the, the investment committee for the pension fund. And, you know, just based on the, the questions that were asked, there was I think some concerns around, hey, tell us about the affordable housing component of what you want to do. Um, you know, I think people just trying to get familiar with, hey, what what's the potential return on our invest on our investment here? How risky is this, and would it even fit into our portfolio? So that's kind of I think what they have to do now. They have an investment consultant. They're going to explore the project and figure out, hey, is this one a good investment? Does this make sense? And you know, how risky is it? And how would that fit into our larger portfolio? You know, the fiduciary duty of this fund is to make good investments. You know, represent its in its members and make sure that they're getting the best return they can. Is there a an element of this that is, hey, it's a hometown project? We are Chicago. You know, teachers fund. Will they be encouraged by that? I, I'm not sure. There's a really interesting wrinkle to the whole thing, of course, with Mayor Johnson, because, you know, as everyone knows, a, a, a long time, you know, former teacher himself and, you know, a, a CTU activist, an organizer, 
you know, what is his role going to be in approving and helping shepherd Lincoln Yards through, you know, now, you know, potentially he could have an opinion, a strong opinion on uh, the pension fund, you know, being involved as a partner. Um, because, you know, given that there is TIF money potentially involved here with uh, the infrastructure piece, the city needs to be aware of who's actually funding this. Who are they basically indirectly doing business with that Sterling Bay is raising money to then, you know, reimburse. So, you know, I, I think there's probably a lot to explore there for both the pension fund and for Mayor Johnson on whether this makes sense um, as a as a reasonable and, and smart and ethical investment. Yeah, I think it really puts Mayor Johnson in a really interesting position for sure, just given his his professional background, uh, his ties in the community, and then, you know, doing the job of the mayor. I think there's a lot of probably a, a feeling of tug of war going on there, I'm sure. What is the investment that's being pitched to the to the teachers union? What what kind of dollars are we looking at? So the way that Andy Glor laid it out to the uh, the investment committee was to basically buy in to Lincoln Yards at somewhere in the range of $100 to $150 per square foot. To translate that, the site is 53 acres, so it's not really clear whether that would be, you know, for the entire land, all of this, but, you know, at, at 53 acres, we're talking north of $300 million. Now, that includes lots of different pieces. That could be some pieces for infrastructure, the roads that need to actually make this thing work, and obviously help other businesses go there because it's a little bit of an island right now. They built one building, a life sciences lab building that's empty. They're hoping to get companies there, but it's hard to get to. They need to build an ecosystem. So there's infrastructure work. There is actually building buildings and starting to fill them up. And the idea and what Sterling Bay is saying is, hey, $100 a foot, $150 a foot, that is tiny. And what we're thinking about here is we think based because this is all zoned for all these big, you know, dense projects, we think the real value is, you know, $600, $700 a foot. So you guys can put this money up here and be our partner and it's going to ignite the, the build out of infrastructure and other things that are immediately going to raise the value of this property. And that could then be an early exit potentially for for the fund or for whoever their partner is. So that's that's their their sales pitch is all about you're never going to find such a great low basis, you know, that you're never going to get such a great low buy-in. It's like, you know, JP Morgan and Lone Star that were the original partners. It's like they bought a stock at $100 a share and now it's worth a fraction of that and these guys are saying, "Hey, buy in. Now's your chance to get in low and ride this project up with us and it's going to be a a big return." So that's the sales pitch. You know, I don't know. It, it's it's unclear and I, it, it's very likely that Andy is going to other groups or has gone to other groups recently to try to find financial partners. And it should be noted that that's not just a Sterling Bay thing. And it's not really just a Lincoln Yards thing because this is really a, a problem facing many commercial property owners that are kind of facing issues, especially if they have office uh, offices, office buildings or you know, large projects they're trying to get going and or loans coming due and saying these properties aren't worth what they were before. So we need new capital partners. And Andy is one of many, many, many developers and investors um, that, you know, kind of holding their hands out now saying, look, who wants to partner with us? We, we've got we, we think we have a great story and come be part of it. Yeah. 
Um, and it certainly seems like a different note for Sterling Bay to strike. It seemed like for a while there, Sterling Bay's name was on everything. There was all these new developments going up. Every time you looked at a, a you know a strip of new construction, there was a Sterling Bay sign. It seemed like they were really on this spree for a while. And as you noted, this is not unique to Sterling Bay. But this note of challenge is not one I feel like we've heard from Sterling Bay before. That is very true. I mean, think about what Sterling Bay was during the Great Recession. It was much, much, much smaller developer, you know, and then they did a whole series of projects that were big, big winners and, you know, drew a lot of attention, got a lot of attention from companies thinking about the Sarah Lee uh, move downtown to the to the West Loop. And then, of course, the big one, you know, Google with the Fulton Market Cold Storage Building, what really helped set off the transformation of Fulton Market. They brought McDonald's to, to Fulton Market, and it's been a series of you know really big development wins and sales that were very profitable for for Sterling Bay and their and their investment partners. Then they kind of grew uh, as several more years passed and during you know the last decade into much larger real estate company where they owned these you know larger assets. They you know bought with other partners. They bought Prudential Plaza. They bought the, the Groupon headquarters building, six hundred West Chicago, which was at the time you know had all these great tech companies and it was this sort of tech hub of Chicago. They almost had a deal. As some people remember, they were under contract to buy the office portion of the Hancock Center. And then that deal fell apart. And so they were looking to kind of bring in more fees for ownership, management, leasing of these very large assets as they were growing into this larger company. And so it was a really great streak for Sterling Bay. And by the way, they still have quite a few projects that are doing quite well in Fulton Market. So at the same time that Lincoln Yards has been a struggle for them, I think, you know, they still have had a pretty consistent uh, track record of, of you know, getting some wins. They, they've done some re- recent leasing despite the pandemic at new buildings they have going on, uh, you know, one that's going up already at the 360 North Green um, in Fulton Market. So this has been, I think, safe to say by far the largest challenge that Sterling Bay has faced in its sort of modern history. And it's a big test because this is, you know, this is a, a company that has, you know, national expansion aspirations. They've done projects in other markets. And, you know, I think it's really important for them to have a, a, a win with Lincoln Yards in their hometown to be able to show someone we are able to take a, you know, to, to master plan a large, um, you know, urban uh, project, mixed use project and, and see it through and make it and make it a winner. Obviously, it's a big challenge with a recession and of course a pandemic that no one saw coming and the effect that it's had on commercial real estate. And it's not just Lincoln Yards, as we talked about in this story. I mean, there's a lot of other properties that they're uh, under some financial stress on too. And so it's, it's a, it's a tough situation for a lot of people, but I think on a bigger scale locally for Sterling Bay. And what about the original backers of the project? You mentioned them kind of being willing to walk away at such a lower price. What what does that exit look like for them? Uh, it's not pretty. Um, you know, I don't know the, the details of it, and uh, we haven't been able to get comments from um, those parties, from J.P. Morgan or for Lone Star uh, on, this, on this subject. But, you know, you talk to people who are involved or, uh, you know, who aren't speaking on the record about it, but it's a significant discount. You know, I think for these, for, for these partners, they were looking at this going, we've had to hold on to this now for several years. And of course it was always going to be a long-term project, but I'm not sure they always envisioned themselves being very long-term partners on this. They would be, they were partners to acquire all this land, which cost you know, a few hundred million dollars. 
and to hold it and to, 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 you know, have a lot of money tied up in it. And they thought probably that this was going to be a little farther along at this point, and they might be able to cash out on all or part of their investment. We know it's a substantial discount. Sterling Bay is effectively, without saying the numbers, you know, they're acknowledging that by saying you're getting in at a very low basis, you know, and, and this investor document that we obtained uh, that kind of formed the basis for a lot of this reporting lays out that is really what the the sales pitch is because not only is sterling bay trying to uh, raise money from the teachers pension fund but also going to their existing investors in sterling bay's fund too that have a lot of equity already tied up in lincoln yards and saying we need more money but guess what it's good news because yes all the money you put in is worth a lot less now in this project but it's good news because you're getting to buy in now at an even lower basis so the return is going to be that much better if we execute on this vision, which if Sterling Bay does execute on that vision, then they could be right. And, and Sterling and, and Lincoln Yards could end up being a, a nice payout. But I, I think that the the, um, uh, the 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 timeline for it is, is, is obviously a lot longer than they envisioned. And, you know, it's when you think about just the cost of capital that's been tied up in this, it's it's a it's a tough thing for investors in Lincoln Yards and Sterling Bay's second fund. And for partners like J.P. Morgan and Lone Star to say, do we really think this is going to ultimately have a, a, a nice payout for us at by this deadline or this deadline and they still aren't sure? Um, or are we better off walking away and taking a, a big financial loss and just cutting our losses here and trying to move on and, and take this money and deploy it elsewhere? Yeah. And so what options would they have? What What is the likely next move if it doesn't pan out with the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund? Other investors. I think they have a partner, and that was also what was revealed recently, um, at least at least on a public standpoint, that they uh, were are partners with Manulife uh, out of Toronto now um, as, a, as a development partner. It's kind of not exactly clear how much or if Manulife is putting up a, a bunch of money. Um, I would I would think they're making a, a financial commitment as well, but they need a large limited partner. You know, a large partner that is basically the money in this deal um, that will help shape it. And so, whether that is the teachers pension fund, whether it's a fund of of, of some other sort, you know, everyone talks in, in real estate about the amount of capital that is out there and looking for opportunities to come up with great uh, investments where there may be some distress or, you know, a, a, a very great, you know, low basis to buy in at. This could be one of them. You know, I, I'm sure there are investors looking for opportunities out there right now. And I think it's just, you know, what's the appetite for something of this scale where this is a 10, 15 year type of commitment or at least project before it's really, you know, reaches its fruition and will they be able to find uh, another partner? I mean, I think that they will at some point, um, but it's a very tough time to be doing that right now, uh, not just for the reasons of macroeconomic challenges and concerns of a recession, but um, just the cost of capital in general with interest rates being high. And, you know, the, the bigger issue is, of course, investors saying, I'm not sure about Chicago. You know, that's a, a another hurdle that Sterling Bay is, trying to clear here. And, you know, if there are investors who are kind of thinking, I'm a little worried about crime or, you know, the, the lack of foot traffic that's downtown now because of remote work or whatever the case is, 
there are investors out there that are saying, ah, we see better opportunities in other markets. And so it's that much more of a difficult sell for Sterling Bay and for anyone trying to raise money for a Chicago project. Indeed. Well, I'm sure this is not the last time we will discuss this. So uh, we'll, we'll keep turning to you for the latest in the meantime and talk with you again soon. Thanks so much, Danny. All right, Amy. Thanks a lot. Coming up, Midway Airport is back to pre-pandemic strength, but O'Hare still lags behind. We'll talk about that and lots more right after this. No matter what industry you're in, the successful design of our shared spaces for work and beyond has become more important than ever. The 54th edition of Neocon, the leading platform for commercial space design, runs June 12th through 14th at the Mart in Chicago. This is the ideal opportunity to find inspiration from top industry professionals and impactful solutions from more than 400 leading and emerging companies from around the world. Find details and register to attend at neocon.com. Crane's political columnist Greg Heinz reported that Illinois' efforts to lure a major electric vehicle battery plant may be close to striking gold, as Governor J.B. Pritzker is personally negotiating with multiple companies. Among the lures, hundreds of millions of dollars in incentives, in part coming from a recently authorized state deal-closing fund, and in part a willingness by local municipalities to consider the type of long-term property tax break that factory owners are demanding. Heinz noted that sources say Pritzker has talked to, or in the next few days intends to talk to, at least three companies that have done site visits. One reportedly European-based, the second Chinese, and the third of unknown origin. And much of the focus is about a site just off of Interstate 80 in Morris, 24 miles southwest of Joliet and 62 miles from downtown Chicago in Grundy County. And Hines noted that the deals are serious enough that Pritzker interrupted leadership talks in Springfield about a new state budget just a few days ago to travel to Morris and meet with executives of the interested company to tour a site on the east end of town. That according to multiple sources with direct knowledge. Heinz also noted that it's not known if Pritzker joined in the helicopter tour of the land, but he reportedly offered more than $600 million in potential incentives for the plant. Details of how much the plant would cost and how many jobs it would create are not available, but Michigan recently offered $175 million towards a $2.4 billion plant in the state. The Chinese-owned facility has run into some opposition there and now reportedly is one of the companies looking to Illinois for a second plant. Heinz further reported that a second manufacturer is said to be weighing Illinois against sites in Indiana and Michigan. Local officials believe Illinois has the edge there, with a final decision potentially to be made before the end of the month. Sources close to the matter say all three of the companies expressed interest after Pritzker announced plans to ramp up the state's incentive offerings. The plan, approved by the General Assembly in January, creates a $400 million deal-closing fund and authorizes local property tax breaks. That on top of the state's existing payroll credits for new jobs. As previously reported, the Pritzker administration has also put a large offer on the table to convince Stellanis to convert its now-closed Belvedere plant to EV production. That offer includes a state-arranged option to allow the company to acquire adjacent property for any needed expansion. 
In other reporting from Crane's Danny Ecker, the developer that proposed turning Baxter International's Deerfield headquarters campus into an industrial park has withdrawn its petition for the project, likely killing an effort that drew a wave of opposition from nearby residents. Ecker reported that Bridge Industrial notified the village of Deerfield that it's pulled its proposal for the 101-acre site between Saunders Road and Interstate 94-294 north of Lake Cook Road. That according to a village email to residents. Bridge lobbied the village to annex the corporate campus, which the developer would then raise and transform with a pair of warehouses, totaling more than 1.1 million square feet and adding a recreational sports complex. Ecker also noted that the move came one day before Bridge was set to come under fire at a village plan commission meeting from homeowners in a residential subdivision across the street from the Baxter campus that has fought the plan in recent months. The village announced that the meeting has now been canceled. He also noted in reporting that it's unclear what prompted the withdrawal and whether the move ends Bridge's effort entirely. Bridge could pursue the project without Deerfield annexing the property, which is located in unincorporated Lake County. But sources familiar with the developer's plan reportedly said Bridge is likely to abandon the project entirely after public officials indicated they would not support it. If the project is no longer viable, it would also likely crush Bridge's agreement to buy the campus from Baxter for what sources says was between $90 million and $100 million. Bridge has been one of the most active industrial developers in the Chicago area, with large warehouse properties developed over the past few years in Itasca, Downers Grove, Franklin Park, and Mundelein, among other locations. The firm has developed more than 21.5 million square feet of industrial properties in the Chicago area, according to its website. As of early last year, Bridge had acquired or developed 230 buildings, totaling $12.1 billion in value. Baxter said earlier this year that it planned to relocate its headquarters if it completed its campus sale to Bridge and that it intends to stay in the general area. The owners of the Chicago Sky have sold 10% of the team to a group of investors at an $85 million valuation, the second highest in the WNBA. Among the eight investors, most of them women, are Chicago Cubs co-owner Laura Ricketts and CEO of Foot Locker and former CEO of Ulta Beauty, Mary Dillon. Other investors include Laura Desmond, CEO of Smartly.io, Carrie Sachs, chair of the board of trustees of Chicago's Museum of Contemporary Art, Tina Chen, former president and CEO of Time's Up and current chief strategy and impact officer at the Obama Foundation, and Anne Simpowski-Ward, CEO of Curio Brands. Current Sky co-owner and chairperson Nadia Rawlinson also brought more into the team along with longtime majority owner John Rogers. Michael Alter will remain principal owner, though details on each co-owner's stakes in the team were not provided. The Sky's $85 million valuation, second in the league only to the Seattle Storm's $130 million valuation, was done by Chicago investment bank Loop Capital. The sale is pending final approval from the WNBA's Board of Governors. Crane's John Pletz reported that Midway Airport has returned to pre-pandemic traffic levels, but O'Hare Airport has not. About 4.5 million passengers flew through Midway in March, the latest period for which data is available. That's compared with 4.4 million passengers during the same month in 2019. The number of passengers at O'Hare, though, meanwhile, was still down 12 percent at 15.8 million. 
Platts noted in reporting that the recovery at Midway is good news for a city that relies heavily on tourism and is one of the world's major aviation hubs. But it also reflects the divergent fortunes of air travel. Domestic leisure travel has fully recovered, but business and international travel still lag behind. Platts also noted in reporting that Southwest, the primary carrier at Midway, is flying about 235 flights a day at the airport. That's 13 percent below its pre-pandemic peak of about 270 flights. Midway also benefited from the return of Frontier Airlines, which moved a lot of its flying back from O'Hare about a year ago. Discount carriers Allegiant Airlines and Avalo also have launched service there. Traffic at other U.S. airports that are largely domestic-focused, including Dallas-Fort Worth, Denver, and Charlotte, returned to pre-pandemic traffic levels in the second half of last year. Elizabeth Granados-Perez, Managing Deputy Commissioner for the Chicago Department of Aviation, who oversees Midway Airport, told Cranes, quote, Midway's service resumed faster than a lot of U.S. airports. O'Hare's full recovery is dependent on recovery of business and international travel. Of Midway Airport, she added, quote, we service more leisure and regional business traffic. Platts also noted that O'Hare's fortunes have been more mixed. The number of passengers flying Chicago-based United, the airport's largest carrier from January through March, was 6.4 percent below 2019 levels. American Airlines, the second largest carrier, has 14.7 percent fewer passengers than before the pandemic, according to data from the Department of Aviation. Spirit Airlines, which was in growth mode at O'Hare before the pandemic, flew 10 percent fewer passengers in the first quarter than it did during the same period in 2019. Delta Airlines was down 7.5 percent. JetBlue Airways, whose planned merger with Spirit is in doubt and was ordered by a judge to abandon a partnership with American, flew 67 percent fewer passengers. And indeed, the final leg of O'Hare's recovery is dependent on business and international travel bouncing back, but it's a mixed bag. United CEO Scott Kirby said business travel is, quote, behaving recessionary, telling Bloomberg Television on Monday, quote, it is cyclical and we think it is 20 to 25 percent below where it will ultimately be. But Pletz also noted that international travel has a tailwind because COVID-19 restrictions have been lifted in markets like China. Fitch ratings analyst Jeffrey Lack told clients recently, quote, international gateway airports such as San Francisco, LAX, JFK and O'Hare will likely have the most to gain as recovery ensues. That's Cranes Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Cranes reporter Danny Ecker. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Cranes Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.